Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Almost every time there is a loss, someone will say words very similar to this. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's another one. I hear it from the words go, I don't know how other people who don't believe can make it through times like this. There are a great number who have no hope. As a matter of fact, it might be fair to say that hope is in retreat in a world that is trying to say it is too sophisticated for faith. But that's been going on for a while. There was an inscription in the city of Thessalonica which read, After death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. Wouldn't that be a hard thing to grow up around? To be in a land where that was an inscription, where you would go to the cemeteries and you'll find inscriptions that said things like, I was not, then I became. Now I am not, and I care not. Wow! But is that so different from the way some are trying to live today? See, the members of the church at Thessalonica had grown up. They were surrounded by this message. And they had a question for Paul because their hearts were troubled over the question and the challenge that these phrases represented. Paul had said that Christ was raised from the dead, but their concern was, well, 
Is there any hope? Is there anything? What about those who have died? We were waiting on the resurrection. We were waiting on the Lord to come back. And now some of us have started to pass away. What about them? Is what we have heard all our life correct? After the grave, no meeting again? Now against this, Paul offered them hope in Christ. Paul, this man who had proclaimed to the people of Athens already in the book of Acts, that the proof of the gospel was the resurrection of Jesus. That was the thing that showed Jesus' message and the resurrection that would come soon. That was what showed it to be true. And that is worth our consideration today because, quite frankly, if you want to find the tomb of Muhammad, you can. And I am confident that Buddha is still at rest. But as far as Jesus of Nazareth goes, his tomb is empty. So Paul told the Christians, the church at Thessalonica, that he did not want them to be uninformed. And you think, well, this is a message of education he's about to give them. No, it is education with a purpose because he does not want them to grieve as others who have no hope. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying don't grieve. Jesus himself wept at the tomb of Lazarus. What he is saying is don't grieve without hope of what comes next. And thankfully, that's what you see at the passing of a brother or sister in Christ. We remind ourselves that, well, I miss them and it breaks my heart. But I know where they are, and I know I'll see them again. He was offering this hope to this church, saying that our grief is mingled with hope, and that hope is of reunion because there is coming a day. And these verses... In 1 Thessalonians, these verses, you might think of them as the rapture verses. These verses that books have been written, movies have been made about. And while the method is very important and is fascinating and astonishing, do not forget that the reason Paul put this in here was for us to, in verse 18, encourage one another with these words. The reason for sharing this mystery with us was for the establishment of their and our hope. So he sets it out fairly quickly. First, the reassurance that the dead in Christ will be resurrected. Now, Paul had elsewhere said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and he implies that, but what he specifically brings to it at this time is saying, though Jesus, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. So when the Lord returns, those absent from the body will still be present with him, but that is only the first part of what will happen with them, because in verse 16... The Lord himself will descend, the dead in Christ shall rise. And he gives us this image of that moment the promise is fulfilled 
where what was sown perishable is now raised imperishable, never to die again. But what of those who remain? What of those who are alive in Christ? Well, in verse 17, then these, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them. And he explained it further in 1 Corinthians. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dread, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We will be changed. And there... On that day is that moment of reunion that the lack of understanding was troubling the hearts of this church. Caught up to be with the Lord, to be with Him forever. No more times of parting. No more times where on earth tears of parting are being shed while tears of reunion are being shed in heaven. No more division of the saints. Finally, the body of Christ together. The promise of the resurrection fulfilled. Please do not let anyone steal your hope. There's a lot of very self-congratulatory, very sophisticated people who do not realize the Bible spoke specifically of them. And I'll give the last word to Peter here, which I'm sure would have made Peter very happy. See if this sounds familiar. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. You know what scoffers are? Those who say, oh, you can't be serious. I'm too big for that. I'm too, I'm too sophisticated, too smart to even consider that, you poor person. In the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Is this sounding familiar? They will say, what has happened to this promise that Jesus is coming again from before the time of our ancestors? Everything has remained the same since the world began. But then Peter goes on to say, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people might think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to repent. So I guess on that time scale, it's only been still a little under two days since the resurrection of Christ. A little under two days that we as the church have had to wait. On that scale, yes, it's not been as long as all that. We still have our hope that through His life, death, and resurrection, 
Jesus has given us this sure and certain hope that on that great day, all of God's children will be gathered together. Parting will be eliminated. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. The church has held that promise for two days. Let us continue to hold it in the days that go by. No matter what the scoffers may say. And don't buy into the, well, we know better now. Because they were saying it all back then too.